What role does law and grace play in the life of the Christian, and what is their relationship to the character of God? We'll explore those questions and more today in episode 13 of Adventology entitled, One Path, Two Ditches. Welcome to Adventology, the podcast dedicated to helping you find answers to the big questions of life so that you can live a life of influence that ultimately impacts the world for eternity. Each week, we will explore a different chapter in the story of humanity that centers around Jesus Christ and culminates at His second coming. Whether you know Jesus already or are simply curious about what the Bible has to say about the end of the world, this podcast has something for you. Here now is the host of Adventology, Travis Walker. Have you ever listened to a debate and wondered in your mind why you find yourself agreeing with both sides of the argument at the same time or agreeing with neither? Have you ever felt compelled to choose a side when you really felt more comfortable staying in the middle? I know I have. Most of the stories I read and movies I watched growing up had a clear protagonist and antagonist. There was a hero and a villain. There was wrong and there was right. There was the Force, and there was also the dark side. In Star Wars, there was no middle ground between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, and I doubt too many people were rooting for the Empire to crush the Resistance. But what happens when someone comes along and creates a scenario where instead of rooting for Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, you can only choose to root for Luke Skywalker or Han Solo? This is called a false dilemma. False dilemmas create a false dichotomy between two otherwise compatible beliefs or relationships. False dilemmas are often created by those whose purpose is to manipulate or break apart an otherwise happy union to provide further support for their own agenda. And whether we realize it or not, Most of us have been victims of this fallacy of logic since the time that we were children. How many times have we been pressured to choose one friend over another just because two of our friends got in an argument or belonged to different cliques? Even more tragic is when parents make their children choose one over the other when they're going through a divorce. These are false dilemmas because there is no incompatibility with being friends with two people who don't get along with each other or loving two parents who are no longer married. Yet we have been so conditioned to think in black and white that when someone deceitfully declares two compatible items as mutually exclusive, we are left feeling we have to make an either-or choice when the and is still an option. Not everything is an either-or. This is especially true when it comes to matters of religious belief. Since the birth of Christianity, many controversies have divided the church. My question is, how many of those controversies were based on legitimate right or wrong issues, and how many of them were manufactured because of some other motive or hidden agenda? We may never know, but the New Testament gives us a glimpse into at least how they got started. The origins of false dilemmas in the church are addressed in the first letter Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, where we read, 
For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 4 through 8. Here we discover that believers in the church had created a false dilemma between loyalty to Paul or Apollos. It is the biblical version of trying to divide members of the Star Wars resistance into two groups that either follow Luke Skywalker or Han Solo. They had different roles, but the same purpose, different personalities, but the same faith. And God used both distinctly, yet equally, to grow the church. In fact, through inspiration, God declared they were one. Could there be a theological equivalent to this historical account? Could much of the internal debate and strife within the church today be rooted in a false dichotomy that entered the church 2,000 years ago? So what am I talking about? You see, in the book of Revelation, we are told that the distinguishing characteristic of the remnant, God's people who are alive on earth in the last days, is twofold. Revelation 14 verse 12 tells us, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Notice it does not say, here are those who keep the commandments of God, nor does it say, here are those with the faith of Jesus. It says, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You see, it's obedience and faith. It is not one or the other. Another way of saying it is that there is harmony within God's remnant people of both law and grace. This shouldn't surprise us when we look and find how God describes himself and what his expectations are for his people throughout the Bible. In the book of Exodus, when Moses said to God, Show me your glory. Not only did God respond to that request by hiding Moses in the cleft of the rock so that he could attain just a glimpse of it, more instructively to us, he provided a verbal revelation of himself as he passed by. Notice what God said about himself. Now the Lord God descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation." Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. As we meditate on this self-revelation, it can't go without notice what God is saying about himself. 
God is merciful and God is just. There is no getting around this dual aspect of his character. Love only has meaning as we understand these two streams that flow from it. In fact, these streams of justice and mercy are symbolized by the blood and water that flowed from Jesus after he was pierced in his side. And without them, it is impossible to explain why Jesus came to die in the first place. The Bible teaches the wages of sin is death. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they were warned what would be the consequence of their choice if they should choose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and yet they ate from it anyway. If God were only just and not merciful, then the threat of sin to the universe would have required its immediate atonement through the death of Adam and Eve. To destroy sin would require the death of the sinner. However, if God were only merciful and not just, then by sparing the lives of Adam and Eve who had now become sinners, he would have also had to allow the perpetuation of sin to exist throughout eternity, ensuring a permanent enmity between God and man. Thankfully, God is not one or the other. God is both just and merciful. Therefore, the plan of salvation reveals God's justice by giving his life to pay the penalty of breaking the law and his mercy by offering forgiveness and reconciliation to those who by faith accept Christ's death as their own. In this way, God both destroys sin and saves the sinner. John, one of Jesus' disciples, said it this way, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4.10 As you can see, God's love cannot be understood without the balancing divine revelation of mercy and justice. Similarly, the psalmist said in describing the character of the coming Messiah, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. It should not surprise us then that since the dual streams of mercy and justice are what make up the character of God, that the redemption of humanity would involve restoring these in us as well. Jesus referred to this restoration in his conversation with the woman at the well. He said, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. John 4, 13 and 14. This living water is God himself. Jesus was offering her the experience of drinking deeply from the same fountain that flows through divinity. This was the ultimate goal of the plan of redemption. This is why Jesus came to die, to restore the character of God in all of us. And just to be sure she understood what he meant in practicality, Jesus went on to tell her what the result of drinking the living water would look like. But the hour is coming and now here 
when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verses 23 and 24. Here Jesus looks all the way to the end of time and describes what this living water will do in his people, starting with the early rain that began at Pentecost and concluding with the latter rain that prepares God's people to stand before him when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven with the Father's glory and the glory of all the heavenly hosts. According to Jesus, those who drink the living water will worship the Father in spirit and truth. In other words, in mercy and justice, with their heart and their head. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It all comes back to worship in the end. Not surprisingly, then, the first angel's message in Revelation 14 that introduces the concept of judgment also contains a call to return back to true worship. We talked about that in episode 11. Notice what the angel says. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven, the earth, the sea, in the springs of water. Revelation 14, verse 7. Worship the Creator? How? In spirit and truth. What does that look like? Keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This is the path of salvation that lies before us all. But unfortunately, the path has been perverted. For as with every path, there are also two ditches, one on each side of the road. I don't know about you, but I have spent time in both of them. And when I buy into the lie that a dichotomy exists between mercy and justice, law and grace, the result is devastating. Not only do I fail in my own attempts to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, But even worse, I misrepresent his character to the world. For when I latch on only to truth, law, and justice at the expense of spirit, grace, and mercy, all I am left with is a legal religion. Inevitably, that type of religion degenerates into a competition where I spend my time comparing my good deeds with those around me to determine my own fitness for heaven. However, I found the fruit of this pursuit is ultimately nothing other than defeat. It is a ditch filled with taskmasters that I could never satisfy, and deep down I never knew if my good enough was actually good enough. On the other hand, as I rejected legalism, I found myself swinging on the pendulum to the other side of the road where the moral compass was less defined. And for a time, I felt free as I embraced spirit, grace, and mercy, free from the law, free from moral restraints, free from judgment. But after a while, this feeling-based version of Christianity 
left me feeling empty as well. It was a religion that was all about me. And in my quieter moments, I wondered if there was something more. But I didn't want to go back to legalism. It was then that I realized I had believed the same lie while occupying time in both ditches. I didn't have to choose between justice and mercy, between law and grace, or between spirit and truth. I could embrace both of them at the same time. It was then that the whole Bible opened up to me in a way I'd never seen it before, and I rejoiced in the harmony of his word from the beginning to the end. What about you? Have you found yourself confused like me? This idea that the law somehow is opposed to grace is one that is common in the world today, but that doesn't make it true. One last illustration should make this point clear. Suppose you were driving down the highway at 75 miles an hour and the speed limit was 55. And while you were driving, a police officer pulled you over for speeding. Would you ask for grace? Sure you would. Although the law demanded a penalty, the officer had the power to forgive your transgression and give you a warning instead. If he chose to give you grace, how would you respond? I'm sure you would respond with gratitude. Now, after receiving the pardon, would you just turn around and start speeding again just because you had received grace? Of course not. Grateful that you had not received a ticket that you deserved, you would drive the speed limit the rest of the way home. It is no different in our response to God. We broke the speed limit. But Jesus paid our penalty on the cross and therefore is able to pardon us with his grace. Does the fact that he died do away with the law? Of course not. The fact that he died proved the law's immutability. He died because the law could not be changed. Justice demanded death, but mercy gave us life instead. This is the love of God. Being ready for Jesus means that we have both accepted the justice of God and the death of Jesus on our behalf and the mercy of God by keeping the law because we have been saved. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Because of Jesus, God requires nothing from us other than a willingness to drink the living water that flows from heaven to us through his presence in our hearts and minds. And when we drink it, what will our lives look like? God has told us in Micah 6 verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. Our goal on this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him. Knowing Jesus is everything. That is why we spent the time today studying the relationship between law and grace. But don't just take my word for it. Study it out for yourself. 
And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com, where you can get a transcript of today's episode along with any of the previous episodes we have already published. Also, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Or better yet, leave a rating and review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from. It really makes a difference. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together today. And I look forward to seeing you back here next time on episode 14, when we will be discussing the signs of the times, among other topics related to the second coming of Jesus, with It Is Written speaker and director, John Bradshaw. Maranatha.